I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. All right, here we go. Straight out of Vegas. Steve Cofield live in our Geico studios alongside R.J. Bell. And two hours tonight, two wise guys, Steve Fezzik. NBA originator, perhaps the most famous sports batter in the world, only got to win the Super Contest twice, and Brad Powers, college specialist, and we are going to be recapping, or not recapping, previewing college football conference every week, every Saturday night. This week, Brad? ACC. ACC this week. Showtime! Woo! The NBA Final Four is here. We talked about it last night, but we've had a lot of movement. So we'll see if there's some minds changed now that we've seen favorite action heavy on GSW and on the Cavaliers. Let's start out in the East where the Cavaliers have bumped all the way from minus 260 for the series against the Celtics to minus 300. I would say the following. This feels like a narrative line move odds adjustment more than anything. What's the narrative? The narrative is, oh, it's LeBron. I'm betting LeBron. I got a fellow friend of mine. He's actually uh, an L.A. guy. Sports fan, very casual batter, very casual. I mean, like, this guy quite wealthy, and he bets like 50 bucks a game. So it's just for fun, right? He's like, uh, who you like? I said, you know, I lean Celtics here. I go, it's just a lean, though. And we'll talk about why. And he's like, oh, I can't bet against LeBron. And to me, Fez, <laughs> when you have the public, and we are getting now to the semifinals, the public's getting involved. 
Not as much as the NFL, but still. I just think the idea of betting against LeBron, against a team that is overachievers, whatever we want to say about the Celtics, on paper, you wouldn't expect them to be in the conference finals with the team they've got on the court, meaning with the injuries accounted for. And because of that, I think it makes sense that the action's on the Cavs. What's your sense, Fezzik, of what the pros are doing in this series? Pros are going to be on Boston. They're waiting, as you mentioned. The public is... So when you say they will be on Boston, now, I did okay in English. That's future tense. So you're saying not so far, but you expect them to wait until it gets as high as possible and then you know, let the public keep betting LeBron and then gobble up the plus price. Right. So they're going to bet like half an hour, I believe, tomorrow before the game tips off. I think they're going to take the plus two on Boston. They're going to take Boston plus 260, plus 27 in the series. You nailed it. It's all about sexy Cleveland with LeBron. Got to bet on him versus Boston. Four guys. No, None of them are averaging more than 18 points per game. That's not something the public can get behind. So when you talk about the sexiness of LeBron, how does that compare to... I love Jimmy G. So <laughs> you love Jimmy G. Is it the same kind of thing? Is this a different kind of love? Well, I don't a different wanna, kind of sexiness? I don't want to offend LeBron, but he just does not compare to Jimmy G. I love Jimmy G. <laughs> oh, you know... We were on the podcast. Is that really him? Oh, it is. My God. Listen, listen. What a, gr- what a growl. I mean, it's what like, a manly voice. You know, like imagine if he would. You no, know, he's married, <laughs> has a beautiful or handsome boy. And uh, how old's your boy? Seven. Seven. And imagine if he was having like a little side piece, Fez. And imagine it'd be like he picks up the phone, he sees it's her number. He would like talking this voice. If he were having a sad piece. I love Jimmy G. Is that the way you speak to the Kumad? Is that the way it works? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Sopranos, right? Now, oh, well, yeah. So when you talk about what the pros are going to do, how much of that is this is what you're going to do, and you and the pro, you are one of the pros, one of the best known, obviously, or is this people that are professional telling you what they're going to do. So is this speculation? Obviously, you don't talk to every pro. Or is this you had enough people saying they are going to bet Boston in the series before tip-off tomorrow? Is it information or speculation? It's information. I've spoken to other professional bettors. We text each other. We all are of the conclusion that Boston has value. But there's no hurry because every time we go into a sports book, all we see are people going to the window betting Cleveland. Let me play devil's advocate for a moment because I – listen, we all have our ups and downs, right? And uh, the best professional bettors, and I'm not the best – Now, a lot of people or anyone that's listened to Straight Out of Vegas, pregame.com, me, over any length of time knows we preach it's hard to win. The difference between winning and losing is a half a point here, a half a point there. It really is. Fez, you haven't had a straight job this century. I heard President Trump talking about they had a good – Uh, there was uh, some unemployment numbers he was happy with. And he said, you know, I could say it's been 17 years since we were this low, or he goes nearly 
the turn of the century. He goes, I like the sound of turn of the century better. So, Fez, you haven't had a straight job since the turn of the century. But the difference between what you're going to do long-term, win percentage-wise, and what a drunk baby flipping coins would do is about 5%. Drunk baby flipping coins, 50. Now think about this. Break even with 11 to 10 is 52.4. You're hitting 55. So if it were 52.5, you'd actually be halfway in between the drunk baby, then break even, then you. So really, as much as a lot of listeners coast to coast might be saying, well, wait a minute, 55, that's it. That's all it takes for me to be like Fezzik. Yeah, that's all it takes. But Fezzik has a greater edge over the book at 55% than the book has over a drunk baby. Because again, 50 to 52.4, 2.4% edge. You've got a 2.6% edge over break even if you hit 55%. So it really is about accumulating those half points. Let me play devil's advocate though with the Cavs ebbs and flows, but I have been on, Hey, this team's a little bit overrated. And then it's like, but I don't see anyone in the East that can beat them. And we've got the history since LeBron became a champion. He's been beat three series by golden state twice. And the Spurs once I consider all three of those teams, great teams, not good teams, great teams. When LeBron has a must-win game, or two, or three, it might even be 3-1, you've got to beat LeBron in an elimination game. When he goes into dad mode, as I call it, or the Hulk Hogan waving his finger mode, like nothing's going to stop me, history says since he became a champion, no non-great team can stand when he hawks up like that. Only a great team can. The Celtics are far from a great team. Is this a situation where maybe the square opinion, maybe the I won't bet against LeBron makes some sense against a team that's not great? You certainly could make a case for it, RJ. But well, I, I know that. I'm asking you, do you agree or disagree? I'm going to disagree because I'm going to take the case of the ultimate warrior here in Brad Stevens, <laughs> the ultimate coach, that LeBron's going to dad mode to win the game, but that Stevens can outcoach Lou and he can negate some of the dad mode. But can he negate enough? Can you, I mean, can we, I mean, Cofield, you have been, and, and let's give credit where credit's due on the square chair, very square chair, I mean, square chair, is you've been on Boston since the start of the playoffs saying, hey, this team's being undervalued. And you were right here on Straight Out of Vegas talking about them to win the East when, what were the odds at the time? 26 to 1. 20, I mean, I'd love to have that ticket right now more than plus 240, right? So kudos, all joking aside, is can you see this Celtics team winning an elimination game against LeBron? Yes. I think they have enough defenders and versatility that they can rotate four guys on LeBron. And I can tell you this, can't guarantee it, but Brad Stevens will not allow in a game-tying, go-ahead situation to have LeBron go against a weak defender. And now that we look back at the Raptors series... Does it matter who LeBron goes yes. against in that Absol- Absolutely. Well, it can't, it can't be 20-year-old OG Ananobi on that leaner that he made. That's that's ridiculous. And and actually, it came out today that Ajiri, the GM of the Raptors, after Game 3, was like, I'm done. Like, that just cannot happen. How do we not double the ball and get it out of his hands? I think they've got enough flexibility, and I think in those 
you know, those one-moment situations, Brad Stevens does have an edge. LeBron, he may still make the shot. But I trust in Stevens. But if anything, LeBron's strength, in my opinion, at the end of games is his discipline of not always taking the shot. And as much as Michael, and and I think rightfully so, is at the pinnacle of the Pantheon, Michael would force shots because he was Michael. He'd rather take a bad shot. Now, in my opinion, maybe the only guy in the history of the world that that made sense for. Because Kobe, obviously a great player, but just as obviously not as great as Michael, I thought he was a, a negative at the end of a game. I would much rather have had another superstar. I mean, that's an interesting question. Is there any superstar of the last 20 years that you wouldn't trade for if you had Kobe in the last 30, you know, let's say last shot to win the game? I think Kobe's the last superstar. And obviously, I'd rather have Kobe than some average player. But that forcing that shot, I think usually is a horrible end of the game. LeBron will pass no matter what if it's the right basketball play. So the idea of double teaming, I think if anything, that doesn't bother LeBron at all because another is, professional is going to have an open shot. Isn't that part of the handicap, though? This Cavalier team doesn't have what LeBron has had in the past. Are these guys going to come up with a big shot if you double him and, and force it out of his hands? And I think that is a great question. And when we come back, what I'm going to be asking Fezzik is there was a matchup change when it came to the way the two-man game, the way that the Cavs were offensively attacking in the last round against Toronto. I've talked to people saying that seems almost unstoppable. That's the change that makes Cleveland great. Is that approach going to be effective against the Celtics? That's on the way. Straight out of Vegas, Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! Straight out of Vegas, coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. Breaking down the conference finals in the NBA. On the East right now, Cleveland has uh, steamed all the way up to minus 300 for the series. We're breaking down the effect of Coach Brad Stevens. How does he stop LeBron? And what do we take out of the Raptors series? Do we say anything different that should make betters? You know, based on fact, not, hey, LeBron always wins narrative. What do, what do we see in that series that should have people bullish on the Cavs? So let's think of the anatomy of a adjustment in a team. As in, this team was considered a good of, to a certain degree, and now there's been a reevaluation. Usually in the playoffs, that reevaluation is little to none. Because we've had 82 games of regular season, and now multiple series. Kind of hard to imagine we're going to say, wow, this team is so much better than I thought. No, it it, it just rarely happens. I think we have two examples in the East of it happening, meaning if you look at how good the Cavs are considered to be, they played game one against Toronto – We knew about the history of LeBron against Toronto, the domination of LeBron against Toronto. And even so, in game one of the series, Toronto at home was favored by... Close, minus seven and a half. Seven and a half. And home court's four, so okay, three and a half points better Toronto was perceived to be. Then, come game four, which 
the elimination game, Cleveland was at home favored by five. Cleveland was favored by five. So that means that Cleveland was considered to be one point better. So literally in the span of the four games, it went from Cleveland being three and a half points worse to one point better. I mean, how many times do you see an adjustment like that, Fezzik, in 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 a four game span in the NBA playoffs? Absent an injury, RJ, I can't remember it happening. And by game three, it had already happened that the switch had gotten thrown, and Cleveland was laying close to five in game three in the series. So, to some degree, we can debate Cofield, and I think it's a great question. And we did talk about this on the Dream Preview podcast. How much credit do we give the Cavs for the sweep? And how much blame do we place on the Raptors? And we've all given our numbers, but I think it's worth repeating. I'm in the 70% range of Toronto's blame. I was 75 blame on the Raptors. And Fess? I was 60% blame so on the dinosaurs. We all agree that, yeah, you've got to give the Cavs some credit, but a lot of this is the psychology. It's in their heads of Toronto. And that's why I think, and we'll probably get to it at some point in the second hour, I think the fact that Toronto fired the coach probably wasn't fair to the coach, but probably was the right decision because you have to change something. The psychology is so bad against LeBron. Unless somehow, some way, you knew LeBron was going to the West, then you could say it doesn't matter as much. Boy, if he's going to stay in the East and we don't know, how do you go back in with Toronto and say, hey, let's run it back? Right, but I think the Cavs have been upgraded significantly, and maybe more than they deserve. But I think some upgrade is justified. But here's the flip side: Boston. Boston was plus four fifteen against the Seventy Sixers in a series. We're talking now about oh, the Cavs are getting steamed up, up, up. Well, right now the Celtics are plus two sixty, so plus four fifteen. Plus 260. That must mean the market believes the 76ers were significantly better than the Cavs. I don't think anyone thinks that's the case. I think Boston as a team has been massively reevaluated after beating the Sixers. Agree or disagree? Agree strongly. Remember, the 76ers were on a 20 and 1 straight up run. Boston has to get a lot of credit for beating these guys 4 to 1. Yeah, but not this much credit. Meaning, I, I think it's a sign, and, and maybe I'm going to, I, I can go about it another way, which is obviously they were undervalued coming in. But to me, it's so rare that you're going to have a playoff team that there's so many unknowns. Meaning, how well Tatum is playing now certainly is something it would have been hard to predict even at the beginning of the playoffs. And, and Rogier, there's a lot of people that stepped up. That's totally unexpected, but I would make the case, and Fez, you tell me, because you do the power ratings every week, or, yeah, I mean, you do, you're, at least you release your NBA power ratings every week, and I'm guessing you update them even more often. How much of an upgrade do you have on the Celtics now? What is their power rating compared to at the beginning of the playoffs? Beginning of the playoffs, I had them two and a half points better than an average team. I've upgraded them one and a half points. I now have them four points better. And I'm worried, RJ, frankly, that I haven't upgraded them enough. Well, based upon, so 
what would you if they just had a series that had no rhyme or reason, meaning that it's not about the NBA playoffs, but hey, they're going to play seven games. If the Sixers played the Cavs right now, and let's say the Cavs had, or let's think about this. No, uh, the Sixers played the Cavs on a neutral court. So there's no home court advantage. They're, they're playing all seven games at, at Jerry's World or whatever. What's your what's your legitimate betters line on this game? You're not trying to bookmake it. You're not trying to figure what the public's going to think. Who's the favorite in that series? During the regular season. No, asking. no, no, no. Right now, seven games. Sixers against Cleveland? Yes. Cleveland would be favored eh, minus, minus 200. All right, so Cleveland would be a significant favorite. Yes. A hundred cents better, because if it's got no home core, it would be even money. You're saying minus 200. Now, the plus 260 on the Celtics in this series against Cleveland is 150 cents less than the, well, 155 cents less than the plus 415. So what we're saying here is that somehow, some way, the Celtics are playing the Cavs and they're getting 150 cents less at plus 260 as they were getting against the Sixers. And you're saying the team they're playing is 100 cents better than the Sixers. So that means you add it up. There's been a 250 cent adjustment, but you've, which the only adjustment that can really come from is how good Boston is now considered to be. Boston's been upgraded by 250 cents because under your theory, if the Cavs were playing the Celtics last round before we saw what we saw out of the Celtics, this line, you know, the the Celtics would have been about plus 500, you're saying, right? Because of that 250 cents. That's right. So massive, massive upgrade for, in Boston <laughs> in the marketplace. But you're only upgrading them a point and a half a game. That it cannot be worth Two hundred fifty cents in a series. It has to. I mean, I'm thinking that's four, four and a half points of upgrade. No, it's because it's a seven game series. You're right. It's not that much of an adjustment, but it it adds up when you play a seven game series. Last thing, because I want to repeat this: if Boston played Cleveland last round, it's fair to say that that Cleveland would. And again, understanding that Boston would have the home court just like they do now is Cleveland would be about minus 500. Yes. Wow. So are you guys both betting Cleveland then? Well, you see... That, <laughs> you just made a hell of a case that well, there's been an over-adjustment. No. We're making the case there's been a big adjustment. Doesn't mean it's been okay. an over-adjustment. Right. Right. right? You could make the case that what we missed out on was not playing, obviously, Boston against the 76ers, catching that plus 400. Yeah, and last thing on that one, just to quantify how big of an upset that was for Boston is if you go back to 2006 there's been 77 times in the NBA playoffs that a team has been plus 400 or more so let's call that a big underdog 77 times in a series Boston was only the sixth team to win the series so 71 and 6 are big favorites in the spot that the 76ers were 71 and 6 and Boston pulled off that extremely once every two year throughout the entire playoffs type upset. 
and they didn't just pull it off. They dominated by doing it. That is a shocker. Straight out of Vegas in the Geico Studios. So let's get to game one. 335 start. Cavaliers laying a point and a half at Boston. Boston's been a really good home dog. Really good. So, Fez, I've got very specific thoughts on this game, but I don't want to bias you. So let's get your leaner like and handicap on game one, and then I'll share mine. I like Boston. I've only got these two teams two and a half points apart, so if it was on a neutral site, we'll make the spread two and a half. Give Boston four for home court. Boston should be favored, and now they're catching points. I'm on board. And I think backing that up, not giving away my pick, is Celtics as home underdogs this season, nine times, 9-0 and against the spread. That's perfect. Eight times they won the game outright. So great spot for them, but I'm actually not going that way. And after we have the update, I'm going to give the RJ pick on game number one. But first, let's get to Steve DeSager. All right, we got some late night baseball. A game still going in Anaheim. Well, it just ended the twelfth inning. The Twins win five three in twelve against the Angels. There was a thirteen inning game in San Diego. Two one Padres over St. Louis. Eric Hosmer the game winning double on the game's four hundredth pitch thrown. Padres third baseman Chase Headley today was designated for assignment, batting one fifteen. Headley finishing up a thirteen million dollar per year contract. The Reds a few days ago were eight and twenty seven. They've now won five in a row. Beat the the Dodgers in LA 5-3. The Dodgers, defending National League champs, have a record of 16 and 23. They left 11 more men on base tonight. Wins for Atlanta and Colorado. Defending champion Houston defeated Texas 6-1. World Series hero Charlie Morton now 5-0. He struck out 14 in seven innings. George Springer, the World Series MVP, was out tonight with a bruised elbow, but should avoid the DL. Pittsburgh had a late night after about a 90-minute rain delay at the start. Eventually, they edged San Francisco 6-5, scoring on a bases loaded hit batter bottom of the eighth. Giants have lost six straight. Mets at Philadelphia rained out. Chance of rain there in Philly every day for the next ten days. Cleveland got a win. Yankees and Red Sox each won again. Victories for the Cubs and Washington. Online car shopping can be confusing. Not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car, so visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. NASCAR was on FS1 tonight from Kansas. Winner of the 400, Kevin Harvick. His fifth victory this year in 12 races. A late night in Brazil for UFC 224. Nearly 2 a.m. in Rio when champion Amanda Nunes won by TKO in the fifth and final round over Raquel Pennington. In golf at the players, Webb Simpson leads by seven strokes and the NHL playoffs West Final opened in Winnipeg. 4-2 Jets over Vegas. Back to you. Thank you, Steve. Straight out of Vegas brought to you by Granger, the products and services you need when you need them. Granger's got your back. Granger for the ones who get it done. So how about we give a little credit to the Cavaliers and what they did in the last series, and maybe even a little for Coach Ty Lue. I know it's hard to believe because no one throws out, or very few people throw out positive compliments Ty Lue's way. Uh, if you looked at the way two guys played in this last series, was it matchups? Did Ty Lue do something positive? One, Kyle Korver came to life. He averaged a little over 14 points a game and had 15 threes in the series. Kevin Love... Game one wasn't great. After that, he was dynamite. He averaged 20 points per game in the series. So there has to be something there, right? Absolutely. They're working really well together also, running pick and rolls. And offensively, that gives Cleveland the second option they so desperately needed. Remember, against Indiana, 
Kevin Love was largely ineffective the entire series. And so when LeBron had to go into dad mode, he was getting so exhausted. Think, look at where he was at the end of Game 7 when they interviewed him and they asked him about Toronto. Yeah, how much of that was him? How much of that was... <laughs> LeBron is a savvy guy when it comes to his utterances, right? In a weird way, that's what social media teaches you is they're going to chunk out. Like back in the old days, you know, there's a, a movie... I'm secure enough in my masculinity to share that I like called You Got Mail. It's one of those classic 90s rom-coms. Tom Hanks, right? Remember in The Sopranos, Hanks. It, <laughs> so manly. But Meg Ryan, I, I, it's my favorite amongst the 90s rom-coms, to be honest with you. And <laughs> What? Well, Do you like, have a whole list? Well, yeah, I've seen I, I mean, like, to, you I'd haven't seen have you, Well, hold on, Mr. Macho. Have you seen A Sleepless in Seattle? Yes. Okay, so my number one rom com is. Uh, oh, so now you're coming up with your list? <laughs> yeah, it's Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought we we're gonna have like a top ten. Well, we'll have to do this one time on. Don't well, bet that's on in June. Podcast. In June, we'll do that. Let, let <laughs> things right, slow right. down a little bit. I'm in a rom com, sure. But we're not previewing the NFL. But <laughs> <laughs> pretty funny. Sorry, I broke you up. There. Yeah, yeah, pretty funny. Pretty funny. So, but the fact, <laughs> you know, I rarely do this. What was I talking about? No. <laughs> But but the fact of the matter is, is that I really do forget. Yeah. What was I telling <laughs> You were going down the path of, of what? Of the, rom, of the rom-com <laughs> with Corver and Love. Oh, no. And, no uh, Lebr- and, LeBron. And, and LeBron throwing people off the scent. Oh, yeah, okay. Saying Remember, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Yeah. I got it. Yeah, yeah. We, in this movie, there was a time to interview <laughs> Tom Hanks because he had a big bookstore, Fox Books or whatever. And he's, he, they interviewed him for like 10 minutes. And they took just one clip where he goes, I sell, uh, I sell bulk books, sue me. And it was like four seconds they took. He goes, oh, yeah, that's not the way I said it. Like, if you're young or if you're on social media a bunch, you kind of realize the world chunks up whatever you put out there, however they want to chunk it up, right? And you, you see it with uh, the big radio hosts right here on Fox National Radio with Colin and Clay Travis and Gottlieb. If the blogs want to go and say, oh, look what Colin said, and, and do you think this is okay? They'll take one sentence, put it in the headline. Yeah, they'll give a little context in paragraph five, perhaps, or put the sound file up for you to play, but they're going to zero in on those five or six words. LeBron's a master at this. He understands every word he says can be taken a certain way. Do you, we really think he said, oh, I'm just so tired, I want to go home, like, like an eight-year-old is tired after a long day at the mall? Do we really think that was genuine? And in hindsight, it didn't look too genuine. Or was he baiting Toronto into maybe getting a, you know overconfident or who knows what? Taking him lightly in game one. It's a great point. LeBron has a great basketball IQ, and I think he's a smart cookie as well. So my question, and, and I think Cofield was very right to bring this up, how much do we reevaluate Cleveland based upon the schematic changes they made against Toronto, the whole two-man game idea. Because I think that it's unequivocal that that approach worked against Toronto. But like they say in boxing, style makes fights. How certain are we that this new approach is going to work against, quite frankly, a very flexible defensively Celtics team? I don't think it'll work as well, but I still think it will work. Remember, Kyle Corver. But hold on a second. Then why haven't they done this the whole year? 
because Tyrone Liu did not play Corver enough during the regular season. When he started getting more minutes, Cleveland became a significantly better team. And, I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me that you can go 82 games, you can go seven games in the first round of the playoffs, and then just discover, oh, here's a way that if we play this way, we're a much, much better team. Well, Corver was number one in the Cavs, not LeBron. Corver in plus-minus over the course of the season, and he didn't play that much minutes-wise in the regular season. you have to ask Lou why. But what, what, you just said something. What's the meaning of what you just said? Corver is undervalued. Corver is very important. And, and all it takes is just the plus minus to know that. I know people that, that, that don't consider that plus minus worth the paper it's printed on. Well, since he's been playing more minutes in the playoffs, they've been a much more effective team. And a lot of that could be his interaction with Love. I mean, that's that's the point. If it was just, Because if we look at the... And I can't remember if it was the whole Sixer series against Boston, if it was just one game. I think it was the whole series. Is with the point guard, it was a situation with the Sixers where his plus minus and Simmons. We've been talking about here a big debate about how good he is, and we'll probably get into that a little bit in the second hour. But his plus minus was horrible. I'm just going by memory. He was minus sixty three for the series, and by the time he sat out. The, uh, like plus 45 or 50, they were right? plus 45. That is a great point. And Simmons, plus minus during the regular season, was phenomenal. Yet in the playoffs, T.J. McConnell, the backup point guard, was much better than him. Matchups. Yeah, so... I think a lot of Corver, to boil it down to another simple stat, is if he, if he makes shots and you can have him on the floor and you can deal with his de- defensive deficiencies, and the guy hit 60% of his threes in the last series. But over the long term... He's got a certain level of three-point shooting. That, he was oh, about 43% okay. during so, the regular season. So 43% three, with a, which is obviously quite good because, I mean, what's the average two-pointers are like 44.5 or whatever, right? 45, if you take out the threes, I'm guessing. So if you're shooting almost as good from three as the average NBA player does from two, that's mighty good. But as you said, huge defensive liability. If this guy really net-net core... Corver were particularly awesome, why would they have gone 89 games, 82 plus 7, without playing him very much? I mean, we can say Lou isn't a great NBA coach, but even a, a, a smart NBA player is going to know enough to look at the plus minus. There, there had to be a very specific reason. I think what happened is with all the... Well, first of all, you have no idea what I happened. I have no idea what happened. So, <laughs> why are we, so why are we trying to guess what happened? Like, I want to hear this. I want to hear what value we could get from this. Go ahead. They had the big trade back early in February, and I think they felt an obligation to try out the four new players, and that cost Corver a lot of minutes in February. An obligation? Like, like this is like Little League where everyone's got to play one inning? Not an obligation, but they wanted to see what they had acquired and how well they were But the theory work. was, why would they? So why didn't they sit LeBron? <laughs> I mean, what I'm saying is if Corver is so vital, here's what I'm trying to get an answer to, and maybe there is none. But, Cofield, I think you got to try to answer here, too. Right? You up for that? Sure. All right. Yeah. Is do we enter this series saying, oh, based on what we saw against Toronto in this two-man action and, and Corver's plus-minus, whatever you want to add into the hubbub of here's why Corver's all of a sudden and, and, and the Cavs are so much better, you got to explain to me why. I, all right, hold on. Or we can say it was random, as in guys get hot or whatever. Maybe he ate his 
Wheaties, and he just played well, but history tells us that's a level he's not going to play consistently. Or you can tell me there was something very specific matchup-wise, like that Toronto has a more classic big man than most teams that's vital, and he was struggling on the perimeter, and that's something Boston, you know, like I need to hear some reason to know how to handicap, because let's agree to the following. If Corver's going to play as well, and that two-man game's going to be as effective as it was against Toronto, you've got to upgrade Cleveland significantly because of that one fact. If it's not as effective, if it was something about either luck or the last series, then you don't upgrade them. That difference, I don't know if it's a point and a half or two points, but I think it's a significant difference. I don't know if you can handicap this series without coming down on one side or the other of that. Cofield, let's start with you. Where w- do you come down? I wouldn't upgrade him. I think it was a matchup deal with the Raptors. I think the Raptors play a more traditional big lineup, and I think their small forwards are a little clunkier and a little bigger. And against the Celtics, the Celtics have a bunch of long athletic dudes who are more comfy playing on the perimeter and defending three-point shooters. Fez, where do you come down? I will upgrade them, but not as much as what we saw. They're going to they're gonna regress somewhat, but here's the key, I believe. But uh, let's agree to this. What you're saying is I can't ascertain it, so I'm going to split the difference. Correct. Okay. Now, but is it that you can't ascertain it because it's unknowable, or is it that you're just shortcutting it, saying could be this, could be that, I'll split the difference? I'm shortcutting it because I don't have the acumen with the X's and O's to know if Boston's going to be able to shut this down. But I do know this, RJ. When that two-man game is going, LeBron gets to rest on a possession, and that is vital because then when they go back to him, he goes back into beast mode, dad mode, and becomes unstoppable. And what I'll say before the break is, because this is fairly simple, I am going to be betting only Boston in this series. Not for the series, but game by game, I will not play Cleveland in any game. I think they're overvalued right now. I think they've been overvalued the whole time. That You can win four games and still be overvalued every game, right? So doesn't mean they won't cover game one. I just don't think that there's positive or profitable situations for them. I'll be betting Boston every game that you could reasonably expect LeBron to not play 100% that game, meaning if there's any potential f- flat spot, I'm betting Boston. I don't think game one is a flat spot. So I'm going to pass game one, but if Cleveland wins game one, I'll certainly be betting Boston in game two. So the numbers exploded here, gone up about 40, 50 cents in this series with the uh, Cavaliers favored. Let's get to the Golden State series where Golden State is getting most of the bets on the series side that's coming up. Straight out of Vegas, Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! It's straight out of Vegas, Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It probably means you should have gone to geico.com. 15 minutes ago, it's Steve Cofield, RJ Bell, Brad Powers coming up in hour two with an ACC preview, and Fezzik is College in the last football yes. yes. ACC preview. Yes. So let's get into uh, Golden State and the Rockets. That series starts on Monday. So we mentioned the Cavaliers have jumped up about. 40, 50 cents. They're minus 300 favorites. When you think about it, Golden State's jump from the beginning of the Western Conference playoffs to now is massive. This was a team for the West. You could get it even money. 
The Rockets were plus 115. So let's put that into a little bit of relative context. Pretty much, Golden State and Houston had about the same odds. Slightly better odds for Golden State, but just a smidge, just a smidge. And with Houston having the home court, it was the market saying, yeah, Golden State's better than Houston, enough to overcome the home court and just a little bit more. So the series between the Golden State and the Rockets opens up at minus 170. Now we're at minus 200. Why? I don't know. Well, I think I know, and I think it's wrong. So, Fez, I want to hear from you first, and let's be very narrow with the question. Why is Golden State, to win this series, getting bet up from minus 170 to minus 200? Past reputation. Nothing else. I mean, because that is easy. It's always easy to think the other person's dumb. And I think that's a trap that betters have to uh, good betters have to avoid falling into. Is oh, it's it's the ignorance of the other guy. Well, maybe, but correct me if I'm wrong. To have a series like this move this much, it means a couple of things. It means one, yeah, the public's betting Golden State, but I got to think there's some sharps betting Golden State to move it that much. But at minimum, at minimum. The Sharps aren't betting Houston because they, 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 if they were, hey, squares one way, Sharps the other, line stays the same. The fact that it's moved up this much means the Sharps, at minimum, are not betting Houston. And I think the Sharps have taken a step back, recognized that Toronto was the best team in the East during the regular season, and they most certainly weren't the best team in the playoffs. And they're concerned that Houston, although they've been fine so far in the playoffs, could have a similar mental problem. So then do we, it seems like the reason Golden State got bet. So you're saying there's one reason the public's betting Golden State, and there's another reason the pros are not betting Houston. The reason they're betting Golden State is the legacy. Hey, these are the champions. These guys got another gear, that old tired talk. Could be true, it might not be, but it is tire talk. And you're saying the reason that Houston isn't being bet by the pros is doubts about the postseason history of the Rockets and individually Harden and CP3. Exactly correct. When we come back into the second hour, Steve, I'm going to make a Perry Mason level fist pounding case that that's absurd. And that the best value of any series, I would say any, now maybe Boston, one of the best values of any series of the playoffs is going to be Houston in this one. Another hour on the way. We got all the NBA and a college football conference preview with the ACC. Hour two, straight out of Vegas, Steve Cofield. R.J. Bell. Hour two. Two wise guys. Steve Fezzik, number one in the first chair. NBA originator. And we're going to be debating with vigor and aggression this Houston Golden State series. I'm sure he'll backtrack, but he did like Golden State as of yesterday. We'll see if he magically changed his mind. Because I love, love, love Houston. And bottom of the hour. Brad Powers, college football specialist, continuing our weekly Saturday night previews, getting ahead of the bookies 
for the football season. It's almost, well, we're halfway to June, not that far away, breaking down the ACC this week. Overrated, underrated, Betsy's going to make, and you can follow. And oh, by the way, loved last year, loved Clemson. I'm going to be interested to see what he thinks of that team. The Vegas lead in hour two in our Geico studios. How can a team that when Clint Capella, CP3, and James Harden played together, how can that team that's 50-4 and four with those dudes on the floor be a dog at minus 200, plus 170, the Rockets are the dog in this Western Conference Finals? With home court. With home court. I think you should be asking the guy that loves the Warriors. Now listen, I get it. You listened to me and you said, you know something, it, it's, it's nearly impossible to ca- uh, combat his points. I mean, he's just playing right. And you're in no position to challenge my expertise. So I understand that you want to back away and say, oh, the line's gone up 20 cents, so now you like Houston too. Let's just assume it was 20 cents less. What in the world, how do you defend liking Golden State? It's possible I'm having an overreaction to my Toronto love where great team during the regular season fell on their face in the playoffs. I'm worried that Houston won't be able to raise their game, and I'm worried that James Harden, who hasn't played well, frankly, the last three games. So hold on a second. Do you have to raise your game any more than going eight and two to get? I get the idea of playoffs versus non-playoffs or playoffs versus regular season, but are we going to act like the first round of the playoffs and the second round doesn't matter? I get the idea that they have to play like to beat Golden State will take. A stronger play than it would have to beat, you know, any other team really in the in the league. It's fair to say, in the two teams, Utah that they did beat, with Utah being the second one, is is it a situation though that? And I guess here's my first question: Has Golden State played any better so far? They're both eight and two. Now, I said that on the podcast in, in the playoffs. I said that in the podcast. People said, well, straight-up record don't matter. It's like, well, when you're going to have a confrontation in the conference finals versus a team you've kind of been on a collision course with the entire year, not having to go on that road for game six, I think both in the first round and second round was vital for both Golden State and Houston. The fact that they... Finish it in five, only had to take one trip, big advantages. I don't know the exact ATS record, but my gut feeling is in those 10 games, Brad, can you look it up uh, so far in the playoffs for both? Is not only college football info, but he's helping us along the way. Do you feel like Golden State's place even appreciably better than Houston in the playoffs so far? Not at all, RJ. If you... Went ahead and adjusted for strength of schedule, which is comparable, and the overall results of both teams, and you just evaluated based upon those 10 games, you would come to the conclusion they're equal teams. Okay, so 82 games, as Cofield said from the square chair, very accurately, a historically good record. And I mean historically, you tell me another reasonable situation, meaning you can say, well, Sunday games, if they don't start before 4 o'clock, blah, 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 they're 50-2. and two. You can always find that with a database analysis. But to simply say, Houston has three players that matter the most. When those three play, 
they're 50 and four. How do you do better than that? You don't. And pursuant to that, if we didn't have these past year's records and we just watched one season, this was the first year in the NBA, and we watched these two teams, think how powerful this your bet is. Houston would probably be minus 325 or minus 300 in the series, not plus 170. So far, 10 games. Houston 6 and 4 against the spread, Golden State 5 and 5. So <laughs> not the but at minimum Houston's played as well. Now other people might say, uh but RJ, uh Curry didn't play. Well, one, all the lines in the games that Curry didn't play accounted for the fact he wasn't there. Two, I consider that a disadvantage. Right now, though Curry's looked pretty good in the games back, I would make the case we have no idea if he's 100%. I don't think the eye test can tell us between 92 and 100. And number two, if history is any indication with Curry, once the leg injuries begin in a season, he's more prone to a, the next leg injury. The chan- uh, If you say there's uh, three, let's, let's say the big four, two and two on each team. Does anyone here disagree? If we were doing a pool saying we can each pick a, t- a player, and if in, and again, this is a little gruesome, but it's late night. We can deal with it. We would win the pool if this player gets injured in this series and doesn't return. That's And we're trying to pick. <laughs> all right? And we're choosing amongst the big four. Let me see. I'm taking Curry. Fez, who are you taking? Curry? Curry, obviously. I guess I could make a case for CP3 because it's really? happened before, but Curry so let's, let's Curry would be the let's, betting favorite slave. You want to bet? I mean, I'm you not, were not, saying you could make a case. It's very gruesome, make as you it, said. Make the case. It's like a $10,000 minimum bet. Let's bet. I think even more significantly. Oh, look, the Fezzik's saving you. He's like jumping in so Steve doesn't have to say no. If this was a pool, I think the first four guys we would take is the big four for Golden State. Well, well, see, he's right. CP3, or CP3's got some history of injury. But the, the, not to get in the weeds here. The point I'm making is that Houston's played at least as well. The fact that Curry's a little bit banged up has two X factors. Is he 100%? Not sure. Is he more prone to injury from here on? I think unequivocally. So, boy, more things pointing to Houston. Here's my point. And, Steve, I want to get your thoughts on this first. Cofield. Square chair. I believe the following has to be agreed to to even think Golden State, even to think the line's right, to think you should bet Golden State, I can't even understand. And I get it. I get it. Fox National Radio right now, 330 stations, coast to coast, nationwide, sea to shiny, sea, shining sea, I think. They're shiny too sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Where I grew up, the rivers used to catch on fire, so it's a little different kind of thing back in Ohio. <laughs> Brad looks like, ah, I remember that. That's right. I was right near the farm. Right? How, how far away was your farm, Brad, near Cleveland from Lake Erie? About 30 miles. Okay. And was that a big story growing up when the rivers would catch on fire? The lake? The Cuyahoga River? Yeah. It was told to me many times by my family. The many Ru- times. The Rust Belt, baby. <laughs> But the, the the point of the <laughs> the point of fact is, with all the listeners out there, a lot of them are thinking, either this RJ's crazy or this guy's crazy. He seems very intelligent. He has a great vocabulary, but he's crazy. 
because Golden State's great and Houston isn't. And I get it. I get that's the, the, the uh, we'll call it the uninformed perspective. But it's my belief you've got to agree with the following to like Golden State. One is Golden State's regular season doesn't matter. By whatever rationale you want to give it, whatever excuses you want to make, they didn't play hard. Injuries, effort, whatever. And that they can turn it on whenever they want. And when they turn it on, they're just as good as last year. Last year's team and this year's team, no difference. Just they didn't try this year yet. Yet. There's eight, you know, two series left, but they're going to start now. Okay, you got to believe one. And two, you have to believe that Houston isn't as good as they were this year. So it's actually, think about how convoluted this is. you got to believe Golden State isn't as good as they were this year, meaning they're better. And you got to believe Houston isn't as good as they are this year, meaning they're worse. That this year just means nothing in two opposite directions. Because even if Golden State's as good as they were last year, if Houston's as good as they were this year, then the teams are even. I think that 50-4 and four performance is about as good as, as Golden State, the champions, were last year. Meaning if you look at that extrapolated across the playoffs and everything. So you got to believe both in order to not bet Houston here. First of all, Cofield, do you agree with that conceptually? And where are you on this series? I agree with it conceptually. I am, I'm actually falling to the side of doubt on Houston with Fezzik's point about Harden. I'm starting to think about this a little bit. Is James Harden right for the series? Does James Harden have 90 games in him? And then he starts to fade a little bit. Because he did last year. The but, final series last year, he had two games against San Antonio where he scored less than 13 points. He was uh, roughly 5 of 28 in the two games. Now, they weren't back-to-back, but the game where they bowed out, basically gave up to lose the series against San Antonio, he was dreadful. So is there a fatigue issue with James Harden? Or it could be, if you do believe in the whole the playoffs, the lights are too bright, it could be that issue. But how would you consider Harden... Now, obviously, the OKC years have to count. I mean, how would you characterize Harden's play in the playoffs overall? I mean, I wouldn't say he's better in the playoffs. He's worse. By how much? Brad, I got another project for you. Give me, <laughs> give me the stats of Harden, career stats, Let's regular see if he season. Down massively. Right? And, and playoffs. Because he talked, wasn't great in this last series. Steve talked about fatigue, but what's very significant to point out is because these series have been so short, every player is going to be very rested. For this series. Exactly. So I get the idea that there's more doubts about Houston. And I I think I have an approach here, a betting approach, that we actually can consider that. So when we come back, I'm going to share with you a way if you do have doubts about Houston. You can still back Houston and probably avoid a lot of the risk associated with the doubts of how they play when the pressure's on. That's on the way. Straight into Vegas on Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! 
Straight out of Vegas, coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. We're breaking down Golden State and the Rockets. The lines moved up a whole bunch for the series. Warriors are now minus 200 to win this one. And as we've talked it through, I think we've now hit the point where we've got to make some commitments and some decisions. And here's the way I see it. It's hard to look at this and not think there's value on the Rockets in the series in that plus 180 range. But guys, here's a great tip. Write this down. If you're driving in your car, repeat it to yourself four times, perhaps silently. If a line seems really wrong to you, you've got to understand why it's wrong. Because if it's just wrong and you don't have any idea why, chances are you're wrong. Right? So here the line seems wrong, meaning offering too much value on the Rockets. We believe the reason is the public's love for the defending champions, how Golden State and their death lineup, there's this perception of, hey, when they decide they have to win, they're going to win. And the question is, and Fez, we're going to start with you, then go to Cofield, is do you agree there's value on Houston? Do you agree the reason there is is because of the public's, the recreational betters' love for the champions and for the the basketball sexiness of Golden State? And then the real the decision is, do you agree or disagree with that rationale? Because if you disagree, it means you're going to be betting Houston. I'm on Houston. I disagree with the public. And in fact, while I drove over to the show, I stopped at one of the local places and I bet Houston, game one, pick them. Though you do actually have, there's some uncertainty in your mind about how well Houston will play in the playoffs. Because if this were, if we were betting a bet like, okay, there's 20 regular season games. Let's say the regular season was extended from 82 games to 102 games. 20 extra regular season games. And we said, Houston versus Golden State, who's going to win the most games straight up? And they're playing the same 20 teams. So strength of schedule is exactly the same. I think we all at even money would make monster bets on Houston to win more of the next 20 regular season games than Golden State. Agree, disagree? Agree. Significant favorite Houston regular season. So now we've got a team with home court that's a significant underdog. The only rationale is the playoffs make a difference. You believe that uncertainty about the way the Rockets play in the playoffs is a factor but it's not enough of a negative to take you off Houston. It is not. The only way I can justify this number where it at, is at currently is for Harden to not just play at his level during the regular season, but to regress and play worse during the playoffs. As long as he plays as well as he has during the regular season, you mean or close as long to as, it, as long as Harden plays like MVP. the best player in the NBA, he, he you're can, fine with home court and plus 180. Yeah, he can even regress a little bit. There's still solid value. He has to severely regress. Same question you, you Cofield. How do you look at the series? There's value on Houston. We, we talked it over during the break. Harden, if there's going to be some massive drop-off or if he has a, a history of playoff failings, he doesn't. And that was the point of getting CP3 so that everything wasn't on the shoulders of James Harden. And if you look at CP3, though he hasn't advanced this far in the playoffs before, the old never made the conference finals, he's played well. Uh, I think if you look at his playoff performance, CP3's... Career-wise, it's hard to be too critical. 
And by the way, and I'm going to rattle these off quickly, is regular season versus postseason, the points are about less than two points different for Harden. Rebounds about the same. Assists, he's actually about uh, about point nine less assists in the postseason. He's actually got more rebounds. His field goal percentage, two per two percent less in the postseason, worse. But again, better teams, better defense, and his three pointers are two percent less. So, and by the way, there's like almost the same sort of drop off for Steph Curry. Looking at his playoff numbers for the regular right? season, yeah, the the three point percentage goes down by about. Three from like forty four career down to down to forty one uh, regular field goal shooting down a little bit points per game down a little bit. Here is a segue into game one, which we're going to get our opinions on. Remember, after the bottom of the hour, football, football, college football, ACC preview, overrated, underrated. Fezzik mentioned Toronto. Now we did a autopsy post mortem on the Raptors, on the podcast. By the way, we put out multiple podcasts a week. And if you like what we do in Straight Out of Vegas, you certainly would like the deep dives we do on the Dream Preview. All you got to do, go to your favorite pod player, search for RJ Bell, and there's only one. Subscribe, only one podcast. Subscribe to it. You get everything for free. Or you can follow me on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at RJ in Vegas. So, segueing to game one, I think what we figured out about Toronto, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. Once you start believing it's true, that's when the problems start for a team. So, I'll give you an example. Imagine a team that plays on Tuesday, but before 4 o'clock in the afternoon, is 0-18. Now, let's also say there's no reason for this, because there, there can be reasons for things like that. I'll give you a good example. Huggins, Coach Huggins in college basketball. And Brad, you might remember this. When he was at Cincinnati, he had some good teams. Good Absolutely. teams. The Sharps, and this is pre-Vegas for me. Man, this would have been, what, 95, 96, 97? The Sharps I were, was with at the time and the group we were betting together, Sunday games for Cincinnati that started 1 o'clock or earlier when they were favored by double digits, ooh, dog, there was some real value against. Wow, I did not know that. Because in the rationale made a ton of sense. They had an outlaw. Or, you know, I don't know if outlaw is the right word. Let's just say they were, they were uh, not in bed reading on Saturday night. <laughs> Fair enough. The players or the coach? <laughs> Well, both perhaps, <laughs> but the but the players was the the theory, and yeah, if they have a tough game, national TV game, they're going to either stay in or do whatever they need to get up for the game. Laying fourteen, you know, you saw a lot of tight first halves. Let's just say that, right? So sometimes there's logic to trends like that, but let's assume there's none. Would you be less inclined, Fezzik, to play this team that's zero and twenty if a deity came down from above and said, "There's no rhyme or reason to this." Would you be afraid? Would you not play that team because they were 0-20 in a spot that was just random that they were 0-20 in? I think it would depend on how aware they were of it and whether it would infect, impact them between the ears. That's it. Because if they didn't know about it, 
and there was no reason for it, if it wasn't predictive, wouldn't matter. You tell them, it starts to be, uh-oh, this is a spot I'm not good. And it, it, it flips the other way. If you're 20 you know, in a spot, you're going to start saying, I don't know why, but I'm confident. I don't know why I'm 20 you know, but baby, I'm 20 and 0. <laughs> I think once it gets in your head, it doesn't matter if there's rhyme or reason to it. And I think we also know that in a lot of aspects of life, right? And Fezzik, you've been very honest about this. I mean, to me, it, it really is, you know, a lot of people, when you talk about Jimmy G the way you do, I love Jimmy G. A lot of people would think you'd be overcompensating, being married and everything, to be all manly. But you've admitted the secret is a book that your wife forced you to read. Well, I didn't actually read it. <laughs> she told me about the secret. Yes. Uh, uh, she told, but but wait a minute. I thought <laughs> I thought you said she said it, it, it's it, it's not optional. You need to read the secret. Yes, but I haven't yet. Visualization <laughs> is the key, though, RJ. You visualize what's going to happen, and it can become reality. And and listen, most high level athletes, or let's say many high-level athletes, visualization. There's all kind of psychologies that can help an athlete perform. That cuts in both directions, pro and con. So here's my point about Houston. If they win and start off strong, I am going to jump on them and ride them. If they start off slow, I'll all lose the first game. I think that now those doubts get really loud in their head. So this is going to feel counterintuitive. Go ahead, Cofield. I'll give my thoughts on how to play it. But no, finish up. I am going to wait. And if the Rockets win game one, I'm betting the Rockets for the series. Because it's going to be very hard at that point, even if they lose game yeah, two. But then you miss out? Yeah. But that's always the case. So under that meaning that I think that there's – here's the way the line will move. Great question. If the Rockets win or lose game one, the line's going to move for one reason, the odds in the series, for one reason. Now the winning team has to win three games of the next six, and the losing team has to win four of the next six. The the mathematics of that, they're not going to reevaluate how good the teams are. The teams are, after game one, unless there's an injury, they're just as good. There's going to be no big adjustment. Thus, it's only math. So if they win or if they lose, the math adjustment's going to be fair. I think the adjustment, though, should be more than the mathematical adjustment, a la how many games they have to win the rest of the series, because I think if Houston wins, they're going to gain more confidence than an average team would. And if Houston loses, they're going to have more doubts than an average team would. So I think this is a new theory that would have worked with Toronto, is when we have a team that we think is superior that's offering value, but we have doubts about their headspace, let them play the first game, understanding we'd be taking, you know, we'll be getting less value, but we're only paying for the mathematics of it, of the less wins or more wins, but you only are betting a team that has momentum when that team needs momentum to be a team you want to bet. I want to get Fezzik's reaction, but first, Ralph Irvin with the latest. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, and everything has gone final in Major League Baseball. 
in San Diego. Eric Hosmer with an RBI double in the 13th. Lifted the Padres past San Diego 2-1. Cincinnati has won five straight games. They were 5-3 winners in L.A. over the Dodgers. Colorado shut out Milwaukee 4-0. Minnesota, two runs in the 11th. They beat the Angels 5-3. Online car shopping can be confusing. Not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. It was game one of the Western Conference Finals in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And for the first time in the history of the Vegas Golden Knights, they trail in a postseason series. Winnipeg takes game one, four to two. Game two will be on Monday. And gentlemen, as you head towards that ACC football preview, consider this. The deans of ACC coaches are Dabo Sweeney at Clemson, Paul Johnson at Georgia Tech, and David Cutcliffe at Duke. All have been there just 10 years, all hired in 2008. That said, there's only one new coach in the conference this year. That being Willie Taggart, who is in at Florida State after a year at Oregon and South Florida before that. All right, Ralph, we appreciate it. ACC preview. Nice job. Teeing us up. What's coming up here in less than five minutes with Brad Powers, but uh, R.J. Bell just came up with an interesting theory on series that may hinge on game one in terms of confidence. The Rockets so need to win game one to maybe exercise some mental demons that they've had in the playoffs, uh, really overall against Golden State, the defending champs. I think teams with doubts need the momentum. See if they gain it in the first game. Raptors, Cavs, Raptors lose a heartbreaker, then they fall apart. Exactly. And I'll tell you this, it's an interesting question. If Toronto would have won the first game, what do you make the rest of that series? Knowing what you know now, I mean, I got to think, that I'd still think it's probably a coin flip. If Toronto wins that first game, I think it... it uh, exercises a lot of those demons. And they obviously were a better team during the regular season. Call me crazy, I'd make Toronto minus 150 still. Yeah, so, I mean, people are probably thinking you are crazy, but I do think it means that much. Why not take advantage of it here? Worst case, if Houston loses the first game, there's a chance they're going to come back. And, hey, if they lose the first game and win the second, then you can bet Houston after the second game. I think whenever you could make the case... At any and maybe this is what I'll say. At any point in this series, the Houston has the momentum. Meaning, if they win the first game, they got the momentum. If they lose the first game and win the second, they have the momentum. Even though it's one-one, they lost home court. They still have the momentum. I would bet Houston after that scenario. Are you talking? You're going to bet the series at that point, or the next game? No, I would bet the series. I am going to bet the series on Houston whenever they gain momentum. Because I think gaining it to first, it's almost like being a virgin or not being a virgin. Once you're not a virgin, you're not a virgin anymore. And, you know, (laughs) the whole born again thing, perhaps, but is the moment that Houston can look in the mirror and say, we've got the momentum, I think even if they lose the momentum, they can reach back and find that feeling. That they've never had before. I think they're coming in with doubts. And I think, it's, you know, this is a good example when McEnroe was playing Borg. And, and Borg, and this is obviously tennis and old school, but Borg had, was in McEnroe's head. And it was a situation where, and, and there's been all kinds of movies about that battle between those two. But McEnroe talked about at a certain point when he believed that he was Borg's equal was when he could beat him. And he couldn't do that unless he believed that. And 
to me, you, Houston's got to have some gnawing doubts. It's the only reason this line makes any sense. The moment that they eradicate those doubts, I think the value's on Houston. I love it. And what a strange concept that you don't want to bet plus 170 for the series on Houston. You're going to wait. If they win game one, they're going to become a small favorite to win the series. Yet that is the better bet in many ways. It's kind of like you got a quarterback in football starting. You're not sure how he's going to be to start the season. As soon as you see him play one really good game, all of a sudden you're willing to bet on that team, even though there'll be a big point spread tax. Last thing on this Golden State-Houston series. Hot off the presses, Chris Paul, regular season versus postseason. More points per game in the postseason. About uh, two and a half points more. About the same amount of assists. The same rebounds. Shoots better from the field. 48% versus 47 in the postseason. And shoots better three-pointers. Now, we know the competition's tougher. We know that... The defensive intensity is increased. The idea that Chris Paul is a liability in the playoffs is absurd. It's absurd. Yet that's the narrative because of the actual results. But the reason the results were that way is Chris Paul got injured and his teammates got injured. So you're both staying out of the series to start. No one's playing game one. Are you going to play game one? I already played. I took Houston to pick him. Too, too much value. Teams could well be equal. And I've got home court. I'm going to wait. I'm waiting for momentum. I think there's uncertainty. Harkening back to the Cleveland series, I want to play Boston when LeBron's not 100% motivated, and I want to play Houston when Houston's confident. It's straight out of Vegas. Brought to you by Granger, the products and services you need. When you need them, Granger's got your back. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Steve Cofield, RJ Bell, Fezzik, Brad Powers is here. If you've been listening on Saturday nights, we've been doing college football conference previews, looking ahead. ACC time. Once again, the favorite, Clemson. But how big a favorite is Clemson? So there are 10 conferences in college football, major and minor conferences, and there is no bigger separation and disparity between the number one team in the conference and the number two team than the ACC. Clemson is about nine points better than any other team on a neutral field in the ACC. A dominant Clemson team that I actually think is better this year than what they were a year ago. Better ob- uh, objectively, as in if they time machine, they play each other this year's team, and they'd be playing each other. This would be like players would be playing each other. The nineteen-year-olds playing the twenty-year-old, <laughs> so it'd be like a Star Trek episode. But this year's team would be favored. Yeah, by about a field goal. Experienced at the quarterback position, something Clemson didn't have coming into last season. And quick question: Would Oklahoma be the team of all the conferences that's the second most dominant? Yeah, Oklahoma would probably be about a touchdown favorite over any other team in the Big 12. Let's hit some storylines. Miami, what's the story on the Kansas this year? Clear-cut favorite in the other side of the division, opposite Clemson. I love the schedule Miami got this year. You look at it, who does Miami not play, more importantly? Do not play Clemson in the regular season. Do not play Louisville. Do not play NC State. Get Florida State at home. Miami probably going to have a chip on their shoulder with the way last season ended with three straight losses. I like the Hurricanes to come out of that side. So just to be clear, if a team in Wisconsin, I think last year would have been a perfect example. If a team gets fortunate when it comes to who they're playing, home, road, do they miss someone from the other division that's really good? Wisconsin had all that. Yep. Michigan, but they played them at home. It 
is very important when it comes to betting them to make the playoffs, betting them to win their division, betting them to win their conference. Doesn't mean anything when it comes to the week to week, right? Mm-hmm. So if anything, they're going to be more prone because if they get a gaudy record, eight and one or something, they'll be overvalued. So usually in the preseason, when we're looking at these teams, we're not so much looking to take our handicaps here in May and 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 use them in September on individual games. We're talking over under win totals and various other season long bets. Looking at the team schedule, if it's advantageous or not, is important in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. And Miami's a team not in the top 10 of my power rings right now, but I think their season win total should be among the top 10 teams just because they're playing a relatively easy schedule. Another storyline, Louisville, who's replacing Lamar Jackson? Here's a name you need to know. Jawan Pass is actually going to be a pretty good replacement for Lamar Jackson. A little bit of a different style of quarterback. 6'4", 230, more of a physical runner. I think he has a stronger arm than uh, Jackson does. I think looking at it when it's all when the season's done I would not be shocked if he, if Joan Pass wasn't a first or second team all ACC quarterback. So what's actionable here? I saw you tweet out the uh, early win totals for the ACC with the Cardinals at 8. Well, I think the 8 sounds about right. Okay. But where what is actionable is it looks like at one particular sports book that has a week 1 line out right now at 5 dimes uh Louisville getting massive disrespect against Alabama. 31-point underdog against Alabama in Week 1. Hmm. Now, remember, Saban, if I'm correct, has an amazingly good Week 1 record. Absolutely. Eight against the spread. Against the spread. And, and obviously straight up. Has never lost a season opener, but this will be the biggest point spread that Alabama will be laying in Week 1. So real quick, because we're going to get overrated, underrated, is... I would say you've been with pregame about 22 months, almost two years. I think 4th of July will go back to the Sunset Station buffet for a two-year anniversary. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Is The thing that's impressed me the most about your handicapping is your long-shot Heisman picks. You've been, like, shockingly good. We've done a few conferences so far. You haven't mentioned any. Anyone in the ACC, or is it a little early? And if so, we'll do it as the May becomes June becomes July. Do you have any early ACC Heisman picks? And it'd probably be Juwan Pass from Louisville. That's why I brought have him up. Have you seen any early odds? Have not seen very many odds on him just because he's a relatively So he's unknown. such a long shot, he's not even on the board. Not even on the board. And a lot of times that those pop up June and July as I get more in-depth on these teams, RJ. Underrated team that you want to fire on. Syracuse, a team that was just on the cusp of breaking through last year, did break through by outright upsetting Clemson. We're sitting there, got four and three. Hey, Syracuse is going to get to a bowl game. What happened? Their quarterback, the heart and soul of their entire team, Eric Dungy, gets hurt, misses the last three games. Syracuse gets pounded by 30-plus points per game. Value on a Syracuse team that you look at their road losses last year, LSU, NC State, Miami, Florida, uh, Florida State, all single-digit losses. Here's a team I'm buying over four-and-a-half wins. So when Brad says he likes a team over, he's not just talking. We have this, I guess we'll call it an ongoing series where every overrated team and every underrated team he mentions during this series, he will be betting, probably a limit bet actually, here in Vegas and up at pregame.com is he'll have every ticket in a thread in the forms. Forms offer 
great conversation, free picks. You can ask, imagine being able to ask Fezzik a question about his mansion, his yacht, whatever you want to up in the forums. But we will have every overrated team, every underrated team with a Brad Powers ticket backing up his opinion. Let's hit the ACC overrated team on the way back, and we'll get a best bet from Fezzik. That's on the way. Straight out of Vegas, Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas, back here in the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. Great news. There's a quick way you can save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you can save 15% or more on car insurance. Best bet inside of three minutes from Fezzik, but let's finish up. Another look at a college football conference as we look ahead to the 2018 season. Brad Powers breaking down the ACC. All right, underrated team, Syracuse. So you said, hey, let's bet over that team if the win total is around four and a half. Overrated team. Florida State, the Seminoles. And really, this is kind of anti-my-MO where I like to take you know buy a team that was off a very poor season. Plus, let's be honest. Yeah. You've liked Florida State as much as Fezzik likes Jimmy G. Oh, the last years. five, six years, absolutely. Uh, no question about that. But here's what I don't like about Florida State heading into 2018. Do not like their schedule, meaning that Florida State's schedule I have ranked right now the second toughest in the entire country. Non-conference. Florida and Notre Dame in the non-conference. Then you get to the conference. Florida State from the other division pulled Miami and Virginia Tech. The two best teams from that side of the division, they get us crossover games. They also got to play Clemson where there'll be a home underdog, obviously. And the two teams Florida State's battling for second place behind Clemson and their side, they have to go to NC State, to Louisville. So a very tough schedule for Florida State with a brand new coach. And Willie Taggart, I like him as a head coach. But one thing I noticed from his last three stops is he, he's not Urban Meyer. He comes in and wins 10, 11, 12 games year one. In fact, his combined record in year one is previous three stops, 11 and 25. And it's a concept we talked about for other teams, Arizona State, is the idea the first half of the first season for a coach, a new coach, is tough because it's a new system, a lot of new stuff, usually underperforms early. Great, great stuff. From Brad Powers. Check out the big brain on Brad. All right, let's get the best bet from Fezzik. We're going to look ahead in the NFL. So, Fez, I don't want to put any pressure on, pressure on you on this, but here we go. Stop on the Indianapolis <laughs> Colts. Over six wins. <laughs> RJ, I got to tell you. I don't like this play. I love this play. With luck at quarterback, the Colts made the playoffs three straight years. They won eight games in 2015 and 2016. He missed half of 2015. Team still won eight games. He's out all year last year. They only win four games. They bring in Brissett. He wasn't ready. Even if Luck has problems and can't play the whole year, I still think they have a decent chance to get to six wins. If Luck plays, and all reports by Indianapolis and their new head coach, Reich, are that he is going to be ready week one, over six is a tremendous bet. I don't understand this line. Every year, or this these odds, every year that Andrew Luck's played the full, or mostly the full year even, they've made the playoffs. And we- how How... The, if we knew Luck was 100% healthy, 100% sure he'd be 100% healthy the whole year, what's the over-under for the Colts? Eight with the VIG on the over. So there's two games of uncertainty built in. Way too much solid value. 
I agree with this one. I think it's huge. I would love to bet like over eight and a half and get like plus 220 or something. Like, obviously, we can't. I think this one could blow past it. Real quick, the importance of all the lines for every week being released this week in Vegas. It's a good sign that Vegas is being aggressive about it. You can get a feel of how good Vegas thinks these teams are, and we'll be talking about that in the weeks to come. We're back next week, 11 o'clock on Friday. Jonas Knox is on the way. We'll see you. Right out of Vegas! I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts. Of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.